Morning, 1030. So, Argentina win? Who watched it? Come on. That's why you're here at 1030. <laughs> Are there any penalties? Do you guys want to throw it on the big screen? Some are still not with us because it's in penalties. That's amazing. All right. Squirrel. All right, come back. All right, so we are in the season of Advent. Advent means arrival. And over the last few weeks, I have been getting texts, maybe you've been getting texts, anticipating the arrival, thinking, I can't believe he's coming. I can't believe that he will, will bring others with him. I can't believe that he has the ability to perhaps bring this group of people out of the ashes into glory. And of course, I'm talking about Coach Prime coming to Colorado. <laughs> in fact, that's the text I've gotten the last few weeks. People just sending me Instagram posts, Twitter feeds of, of his arrival coming off the jet, what he has said in press conferences, walking around the university, thanking Jesus Christ for the opportunity to coach the CU Buffaloes the greatest university in America. <laughs> I was born and raised in Boulder, went to CU, met my wife at CU, and so our kind of friends group has been talking about this for several weeks. And I just started thinking, it's amazing how quickly we're captivated by the arrival of things that are so much smaller than the arrival of the Son of God to earth to redeem a people for eternal life. And that's the danger of being an American Christian. Is there are so many things that can capture our tension, our wonder, our imagination, our excitement, and somehow the arrival of Christ takes a back seat. And that's the purpose of the Advent readings, the Advent guides, is to prepare our hearts so that we don't miss what's really celebrated at Christmas. And it would be my hope, this is my prayer for you today, that as we sing the songs that we sing and that we open up God's word, that there's something that is spoken, something that's sung, something that is said, that so recaptures your heart to think, holy cow! Jesus Christ came to be with me, to save me, that I would live with him forever. And that would be our conversations this week. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to open up and we're going to start in Matthew. And that will take us to Isaiah. The coming of Jesus is to remove fear from people. There's a lot of things we fear. And the coming of God is to remove that fear. This announcement came to Joseph, who was betrothed to Mary, who was his fiancée. And they hadn't been together yet, and yet she's found to be with child. And Joseph, being a righteous man, has a lot of fears now. Fears about the future, fears about how people are going to view him or view his betrothed. Consequences now, dreams are dying as he hears this news. 
And so in fear, he's trying to think, how do I salvage my, my, my relationship maybe? How do I salvage my reputation? How do I salvage a future? How do I show my face in public? And an announcement comes to him. This is Matthew 1, verse 20. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. But oftentimes when God shows up in our life and he's doing an activity in our life, it can be unsettling. And so here is the message from God. Joseph, I know what you're thinking about. Do not fear. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is God's activity in her life and in yours. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus is here. Is to redeem a people from their sins that they might be righteous and in eternal life. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Remember, Jesus is not something new. He's not a new novel idea on the scene. He's something promised and something fulfilled. So I've been looking at the book of Isaiah. Hundreds of years before Christ's arrival are the prophets foretelling that Jesus is coming. Who this Jesus will be. How he will arrive. What he will do. And so you can look at Jesus in the historical record of Christ. Did he fulfill these things? And here the author of Matthew picks up one of these first fulfillments. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This prophet is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And we've been talking about, through the prophet Isaiah, how God promised to be with his people and how he promised to be with his people. This, this prophetic statement comes from Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, there's a king named Ahaz. And he's the king of the southern kingdom. And he's in a state of fear. He's afraid because he hears rumors that the northern kingdom is conspiring with Syria to invade his kingdom, a smaller, weaker kingdom, and take it over. And out of great fear, he tries to shore up some of his alliances, one in particular with the country Assyria. And God says to, to Isaiah, go to Ahaz and tell him, don't do that. Don't be afraid of this news that you heard. Trust in your God. I am with you. Don't put your trust and your confidence in men. Trust the Lord. Do not fear. In fact, I'll give you a sign. Ask for anything you want. And I will show you that I'm faithful and true. Ahaz says, I, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to show a sign. And God says, well, then I'll, then I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign to build your confidence, to know that I'm trustworthy, that you would not fear, that you know I've got you. Chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, Ahaz. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And we've been looking at all these different pieces of how God promises to be with us. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, that the light of the world is coming. That God with us is light into darkness. We looked at Isaiah 11, 
That God is the king of kings, the promised heir of the throne of David, the branch of Jesse, the king of kings and the Lord of lords to be with us. And we looked at Isaiah 41, or Isaiah 40, sorry, 40, which says he's the good shepherd who comes to gather his sheep. I don't know about you, but when you hear God with us, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. What happens in your heart? For some, it's yes, like God is with me. Thank you that I'm not alone. Perhaps you say that because you know who he is. That's not the response of everybody. When the world hears God is coming, God is going to be with us, not everyone has an excitement. You see, we saw that God is the light of the world. But John tells us, this is John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict, that the light came into the world. But men and women loved darkness because their deeds were evil and wicked and refused to come to the light because their deeds would be exposed. And so they do not want to come to the light, God with us. And then we read that the king of kings is coming to bring his good rule and reign. But some people say, I don't, I don't want no king to bring his rule and reign in my life. I, I want to be king. I don't want to follow a king. We see in John chapter 19 where Pilate has Jesus and he's standing before the, the Jewish leadership. And he says, should I crucify your king? And they shout back. We have no king but Caesar. Like, this ain't our king. We don't want him. They will not come to him. Luke 14, the shepherd is there, and he stands out Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've desired to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you're not willing. And so when we say God with us, there are some that say, I don't want the light. I don't want his rule. I don't want his shepherding. I don't want him. It's not good news. And my desire, my prayer right now is to open up Isaiah 43, another chapter that describes who God is and how he views you. And I'm just pleading with you. And I've been praying for you that God would open your eyes and ears, that your heart would be excited and say, oh, that's the God that's coming? If that's the God that's coming, oh, then light is life. His reign is good. His shepherding is what I need. So go to Isaiah chapter 43 with me. Isaiah 43 continues to unpack these promises of God for his people. And their promises of his coming to a people who are in the midst of fear. They've, they've been told they're going to be out in captivity because of their, their wicked leadership and their refusal to return to the Lord. The Lord is going to send them to captivity, which is going to be a fearful place. Their homes will be destroyed. They will be foreigners in a land that's not theirs. But God is not finished with them. God's discipline is not destruction of them. God's discipline is like a loving father to have his children return. And so 43.1, let's unpack this first verse for a moment. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, 
He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Who is this God that says, fear not? Who is this God that says, I'm coming? Well, there's three things that you should pay attention to right off the bat. He's the one that created you. This is what he says to his children of Israel. And it's expanded to all of his children. Thus says the Lord who created you. Do you know that you have been created? You're not here on accident. You don't exist because of happenstance. Somebody purposed you to live. Your God did. He created you. The psalmist says, you made me, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you need to know that. Maybe if you're young in this room, you just need to know this. God created you. He made you. This is Genesis chapter 1, the very opening pages of the Bible. When he is creating the world, he says, let's create humanity in our likeness, in our image. They're going to be image bearers of us. And so let's create them male and female. And he created them male and female. And what is masculine and feminine reflects the glory of God. It's a beautiful thing. And so you're created on purpose. You're no accident. Someone thought of you and made you. He who created you. Second one, he who formed you. This is the language of, of a potter. Someone who sits down and, and takes a lump of clay and puts it on his wheel and shapes something unique and purposeful and beautiful. That's how he has made you. He not only created you, he formed you in your uniqueness, in your personality, in your talents. He knows everything about you. He knows what excites your heart. He knows what brings fear to you. He knows your talents. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all of the decisions that you've made. He knows what you feel ashamed of and guilty over. He's the one that formed you. So this God who is to be with us created us, formed us. And then look at this. Because our sin has bent that reality. He says he has redeemed us. Fear not. Like I can see how my coming would strike fear in you because you're a wayward people. But fear not, for my coming is to redeem you. I redeem you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In just one verse in Isaiah, the God of the universe who is coming says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. You are mine. In one verse, he says this. You exist because of my purposes. And you exist for a purpose. It's a beautiful thing to know. It's a beautiful thing to know that you exist on purpose and you exist for a purpose. And this God is with us throughout the hardships of life. Verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, though the, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. 
There's kind of two parts to this. He's, he's looking back at Israel's history and saying, see how I was faithful to bring you through? That you were not destroyed before? I'm with you again. And then I think he has a hidden message in here for those going into captivity of how he continues to be with them in this time of exile. So what comes to your mind when you think of the waters that Israel passed through? Well, in the the Jewish mind, waters is always the chaos of the world, the abyss. In Genesis 1, there's, there's God creating, and he separates land from water. He brings order. Whenever God creates, he's bringing order and beauty. And the waters, in the Jewish mind, are the chaos that continues to exist. It's a threat to their life. But you think of a few stories. How God flooded the earth. And what did he do? He took his people and carried them through. He preserved them so that the waters would not overwhelm them. You think of Moses leading the people out of Egypt. Here they are, backed up against the Red Sea, nowhere to go, and the Egyptian armies are pressing in. Can you imagine the fear beating in mothers' hearts? And God says, we're going through the waters. Don't fear. We'll go through the water, and the waters part, and on dry land they go through. They pass through into the wilderness. And then they get to the edge of the promised land. There's the Jordan, this massive river. And there they stand, and God says, we're going through the river. And with the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, they step into the river, and it parts. And through the waters, they go into the promised land. And so you can just see God pointing his people back. Do you see how I was with you in all of these moments? To bring you through. And then you think of this, this fire. It, it could be the fire of Mount Sinai, the, the consuming presence of God. It could be the pillar of fire that, that leads them by night. But you think Isaiah's written a century, maybe 150 years before they're truly in Babylon. And you read the book of Daniel, which is the account of them in exile in Babylon. And Daniel has a few friends, Meshach, Radshach, and Abednego. And they have unique talents and skills that the the king has used to build up his empire. And in his own pride and ego, he has all the people one day come and say, we're having a worship service. And we're going to play some music. And when you hear the music, you're all going to bow down and worship me. And these three Jewish exiles who have heard the words of Isaiah, God is with us. Say, no, we're not going to do that. We're we're not going to bow down. And worship you. We're going to only worship the true one living God. He said, well, if you don't, we're going to to throw you in the fire. Yeah, the prophet told us that he'll be with us in the fire. Whether he preserves our life or not, God's with us and we will not worship you. And Daniel 3 records that they increase the temperature of the fires. and They they throw Meshach and Radshach and Abednego in. He's three in the fire. And what does the king see? Four. Remember this story? The king says, wait, how many did we throw in there? I see four. And one of them, one of them, looking, looks like the son of God who's with them in the fire. And he calls them to come out and they're not touched by the fire. They're not burned by the fire. Their clothes don't even have the the smell of smoke on them. I think truly in a miraculous way, here is... The Lord's promise to his people, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. When you pass through the waters, when you're in the fire, you will not be burned or consumed. Because I'm your God. And I am with you. I'm with you. 
Now, this does not promise that you're not going to have any hardships in life, does it? Does it promise you that you're going to have a storm-free life? Not at all. What's the promise of God? That in the hardships of life, in the afflictions of life, in the seasons that have a lot of fear, God is with you. You are not alone. The God who created you, who formed you, who redeemed you, who possesses you, is with you, is what Isaiah wants you to know. That's who our God is. Now, there's a cost to this redemption. There's a cost to him redeeming his people out of exile, out of their sin. And so verse 3 says, For I am the Lord your God. I'm your God, not a God. I'm your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. I give Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see, in Isaiah, we've looked at this several times, there's an immediate fulfillment that shows the trustworthiness of a future fulfillment. And so, yes, the immediate fulfillment is they come out of exile as promised, and he restores them in the land. But this language is bigger and broader than just Israel out of Babylon. This is global language, east and the west and all my people. This language that we've seen in in Isaiah already of the nations coming and inquiring. That the the world has a people of God that he will restore. He says, I ransomed you. That's the language of of purchasing back what you own. This is the language of God to say, I will bring you out of exile, but it will cost. It costs human life to do this. But I'm willing to do it for you. The ultimate fulfillment is in what? What? Jesus Christ. This is Matthew 20. Matthew records for us Jesus' own words. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and do what? And give his life as a ransom for many. What happened on Calvary? He ransomed the people back. He redeemed us back from the exile of slavery to sin and to death. That's the work of Jesus. And you just look back and go, this is amazing. This is who God is. He created me. He formed me. He redeemed me. I belong to him. What does he think of me? Like, I mean, this is an amazing work that that brings a lot of of wonder to my life, a lot of awe and excitement. Why? Well, look at a few more verses. We've already circled the fact that he created you. He formed you. He redeemed you. You are his. He's your God. He's your Savior. Check out verse 4. This is what he says of you. If you have ears to receive this, I I, I hope that you do. This is what the, the, the creator of the universe says about you. This is what he thinks of when he thinks of you. You are precious in my eyes and honored. Do you, does that come to mind when you think of God? 
opinion of you. You're so precious. You're, you're valuable to me. Why would I send my son to ransom you back? Because you're precious to me. You're honored in my presence. And probably three words that we would hope to hear from a parent, a spouse, a kid, a friend. We hear from the living God. I love you. I love you. Did you know the cray of the universe? Emmanuel, God with us, loves you? I just write that out. Why am I doing all this? Why am I spending the cost? It's costly to do this work. You're precious to me. You're honored to me. I mean, I love you. I love you. That's what he says. He says, then in the, I love this in verse 6. When he calls out to the north and the south, east and west, and he says, bring me my sons. Bring me my, my daughters. Bring me my children. That's how the, the Father thinks of you. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. You're mine. You're precious to me. Honored by me. I love you. You're my sons. You are my daughters. Can you see why the heart gets excited when we hear this God is with us? He's come to be with us. The ones he made, the ones he redeemed, the ones he loves. Now, a question I have when I read things like this is, is that like the foundational reason that he came? Like, is there anything deeper than God loves us? Because there's, there's a lot of, like, burden on me with that one. Is, wow, I must be, like, really lovable. But my wife doesn't always love me that much, and my kids don't love me that much. And, you know, honestly, like, I hang out with myself, and I don't like me that much. Am I really that great? Or is there maybe another foundational issue that yet this springs from, but there's something deeper, stronger, in which he acts from. And Isaiah tells us there is. There is. There's something that motivates his love. We know that God is love. John tells us God is love. Not that he is loving or acts loving, but he is love. Everything he does is motivated by love. And so here's the question. Back to verse 1. He created you. Why did he create you? Why did he create me? I mean, like, there's a people now to be with. Why is there a people? Like, what motivates God to do that? He formed you. Why? He redeemed you. Why? It'd be easy to say, simply, he loves you. But there's, a, there's something behind it. And so look at verse 7. Whom I created, that's you, for, you're created on purpose, for a purpose. What's the purpose? For my glory, he says. Like, I'm going to display my glory through you. You're going to be the display piece of who God is like. And so I've created you for my glory. Look over here. 
in verse 21. The people whom I formed for myself. Why did you form me? I formed you for myself that they might declare my praises. So he created us for his glory and then he formed us for his praises. So all the unique ways in which you're wired and built, your unique passions, the things your heart gets excited for, all of that is to well up to praise, to worship. And so in part... Our wondering of God motivates us to worship and to be his witnesses. This is what God is like. Check out verse 25. Why would he redeem us? For I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, he says. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins for his own sake. And so the purpose in which we're made is to glorify God. We just sang a whole bunch of songs about God's glory. Maybe you didn't even know it because we were singing it in Latin. You know? (laughs) Glory. In excelsis Deo. Gloria. Glory to God in the highest. That's what we're singing. Let my life, who I am, how I've been created, how I've been formed, bring glory to my maker. And may it be increasingly throughout my life. That's what we're singing. And so the ultimate foundation of yes, you are created. Yes, you are formed. Yes, you are redeemed. Yes, you belong. Yes, you are precious. Yes, you are honored. Yes, you are loved. Why? So the glory of God might be revealed in your life. That's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. That actually casts out fear. Because now I'm not living for my glory, but for his. I'm not directing my future and my path. I'm trying to direct all my dreams. But I'm asking, God, what are you up to? And how can I follow? How can I participate in you unfolding your glory to the world now and forever and forever? And so Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this, that he would come. There's actually a hint of this in verse 18. It says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, he tells Israel, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it, he says? I'm doing a new thing, a greater thing than just bringing you out of Babylon. I'm doing a greater thing to bring you out of sin and death, and I'm going to do it through my promised Messiah, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so my question for you is this, is, is where is fear creeping in in your life? Where are the storms of life causing a lot of noise in your life? Where do you feel unsettled, anxious, worried? Where do you feel alone? And you need to hear the one who made you, formed you, redeemed you is with you in that. He's with you in that. My prayer is that you would see him in a palatable way working in your life. Do not fear. I'm working in your life right now. Just take heart. In this world, you're going to have lots of troubles. I've overcome the world, and I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. That's the promise of God. I am with you through all of this. I'll tell you that there's one point in life that could be the loneliest and cause the most fear. And that's your death. That's my death. 
Like, each one of us will do this alone. It'll be our own. And we could think that we're alone if we don't know Jesus Christ, who promised to be with us. That even death itself, not only the waters, not only the fire, but death itself will not consume you. That you will simply pass through death to life. And even in that darkest, could be scariest moment, you know for certain you're not alone. God is with you. Jesus promised, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, yet those who believe in me will what? Live. They'll live. And so Jesus the Christ has come not only to be with us now, to be with us through death, that we might be with him forever, forever. And that's all packed into this simple statement. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Does that cause you to worship? Are you excited that he has arrived? Do you long for his next coming? There's a lot of things to capture our heart right now. My prayer is that what is first and foremost in your mind this Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ to be with you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are not alone. And the struggles that we face, we don't face alone. And the hardships that we're in, we're not alone. And the grief that we're in, we're not alone. And the sin that we're stuck in, we're not alone. But that you have come. Father, I don't know how to impress that on our hearts. How to excite each one of us of your presence with us. And so, Father, I'm just asking, would you be so kind to do that spiritual work? I think that only you can do to speak to every woman in this room, to speak to every man in this room, to remind them that you made them, you formed them, you have redeemed them. They are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And you are with us. May it turn us into worshipers, Lord, that sing your praises. May it turn us into witnesses that display your glory, that we would make much of your name. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray all of this and give thanks for all of this because of your coming. We are alive. In your name we pray. Amen.